Okay, welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on the Gospels. Here on the Listener's Commentary, our goal is to provide down-to-earth Bible teaching so that you can learn the Bible for yourself and live it out in your everyday life. And in this session, we are in part two of our introduction to the Gospels, where we're trying to at least provide a framework for what the Gospels are and how they function so that we can read them well. And in this session, we want to look really at how the Gospels fit into the big story of the Bible. Because the reality is, when we open our Bible to the New Testament, we need to recognize that it's like starting a movie three quarters of the way in. So if you just start reading with Matthew, you're like 65-70% of the way into the biblical story. And while the Gospels tell the beginning of Jesus' story, they are thus not the beginning of the big story. In fact, they're actually the culmination of a several thousand year long story, the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the story of Israel and the whole Bible. So if we're going to hear the Gospels well, and we're going to read them rightly, we need to make sure that we're reading them as the culmination of long-expected hopes, long-expected uh, dreams and promises that are finally coming to reality here now in Jesus of Nazareth. And so what I want to do in this session is I want to help us make sure we at least have a, a, a basic grasp of that big story so that we can read the Gospels in that context and as the culmination of that story. So the Bible begins with an act of creation. God speaks and brings all things into existence, and God declares all things good. And in fact, when God makes human beings, he says it's very good. That's where the story begins. It quickly takes a downturn in Genesis chapter 3 as humans break faith with their creator by disobeying the direct command of God. Well, the result of that is not only uh, devastation and destruction and death entering into the world, but now the world, according to Genesis chapter 3, lies under a curse. God in whatever way that plays out, God has brought a curse into the world, and so the world lies under the curse. And the rest of the biblical story is how God is going to deal with human beings, uh, deal with their brokenness, deal with their disloyalty and sin, and deal with the curse. So let me give you a real high-level overview of how God does that, and then we'll go back and we'll put details into that overview. Here's the overview. We go from a man by the name of Abraham— to his son Isaac, from Isaac to his son Jacob, from Jacob to the nation of Israel. Then we get the long story of the nation of Israel that takes up the bulk of the Old Testament. And then um, we end that story of Israel in the book of Malachi. And then we have 400 years of waiting and watching and hoping and praying and really chaos for the Jews. And then in the fullness of time, we get Jesus. And then from Jesus, we get the church. And eventually we get the restoration of all things. That's the flow, all right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Jesus, and the church. That's the high-level overview. Now let's put some details into that overview, all right? 
God wants to deal with the curse. He wants to undo sin and death and the destruction it's brought into his good, beautiful creation. So he does that by calling a man by the name of Abram, later known as Abraham. You can pick this story up in Genesis chapter 12. So God calls Abraham, and he says, through Abraham and his offspring, he is going to bring his blessing to the whole world. Note that word blessing, because that word is opposed to curse or cursing. And so there is a curse that has come upon the whole world. How is God going to undo the curse? Well, he's going to do it through Abraham and his offspring. Um, And so God promises Abraham that he is going to have descendants like the stars in the sky and like the sands on the seashore. The problem is Abraham is old. He doesn't have any kids. How is God going to do that? And so read the details of the story and watch how that unfolds. But eventually, God fulfills that promise initially to Abraham by giving him a child of promise, a son by the name of Isaac. Um, Well, Isaac is the one who is going to Uh, carry the promise forward. And so eventually Isaac himself has kids and specifically one of his kids is going to be part of the line of promise. That is Jacob. And so we go Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob is the carrier of the promise that will carry it forward. Well, the sons of Jacob become the tribes of Israel. And so Israel is the initial fulfillment of descendants like the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And so now Abraham, who God miraculously provided these children for, we see this kind of initial fulfillment of his promise to Abraham in all these descendants, the nation of Israel. Here's the thing. God enters into a covenant with Israel. And it's through Israel, Abraham's offspring, that God wants to bring his blessing to the world. The problem is, is that um, Israel breaks faith with their creator, like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Well, Israel repeats that, and they break faith with their creator as well, and they violate the covenant, and they're unfaithful to the covenant. And as a result of that, long story of the Old Testament, but as a result of that, they suffer the curses that the covenant said would come for disloyalty and disobedience to God. And so they experience curses. And so they're supposed to be the people of promise. They're supposed to be the people of blessing. But because of their own unfaithfulness to Yahweh, they now become um, affected by the curse as well. And they're under a curse as well. In fact, they experience the ultimate curse, the curse of exile. So whereas Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, Well, because of their disloyalty, guess what? Israel was expelled from the land of promise because of their disloyalty. But God isn't one to give up on his promises easily. God is faithful even when we're not. And so God had promised that though Israel was under a curse, though Israel was exiled from their land, God would bring them back and God would still raise up a deliverer. He would raise up an ultimate seed of Abraham, an ultimate offspring to Abraham who would undo all the sin and death, who would be everything Israel was supposed to be, and he would be the fulfillment of the promise. Well, in the providence of God, God did bring them back after 
Babylonian exile. God sent the Persians who defeated Babylon. The Persians had a different foreign policy. They sent the Jews back to their homeland if they wanted to return, and a number of the Jews did return to Israel. Um, Upon their return, they rebuilt Jerusalem. They eventually rebuilt the temple, and yet God's Shekinah glory never filled the temple the way they had expected, uh, the way the prophets had promised. And so they were looking and longing for all of that to happen. Not only that, even though they had returned to their homeland, they were still under foreign occupation, first to the Persians, then eventually to the Greeks. And then after Alexander the Great's demise, uh, then they were really kicked back and forth like a soccer ball between the Ptolemies in the south and the Seleucids in the north, and they're kicked back and forth, and everyone's vying for that strip of land that is where Israel is settled. And so they're still under foreign occupation. And it is it is gut-wrenching and brutal to read some of the stories that happened during that time period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. While Israel is living in their land, but Nothing is going right, and there's all sorts of oppression. And and so you have various deliverers kind of rise up on the scene. You have various rulers, and you get the Maccabees in all of that. Um, And then eventually, over the course of all that time, a new power arises. The Roman Empire arises. And so now Israel is under Roman occupation and Roman oppression, and it has been a rough four or five hundred years. And so when we arrive at the beginning of the gospel story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, when we arrive at that moment, oh man, there is great anticipation. There is like some cynicism. There is longing. There is when in the world is God going to fulfill his promises to us? When is he going to deliver us from our oppression and foreign occupation? When is he going to send a great deliverer? When is God going to act? That's that's where we're at, that moment in history when God does finally choose to act. Jewish hope, in that point in time, primarily looked forward to a glorious destiny for Israel, to God's blessing his people. This did not necessarily involve a personal Messiah, although for many it did. The focus was primarily on the nation and the age to come and God's triumph over Israel's enemies. And the term Messiah or Christ, Christ is the Greek version of Messiah, that term is only one description for the coming one. He was called the Restorer, the Priest, the Prophet, the Son of David. There were various titles. Some expected God just to intervene directly. Uh, The point is that first century Palestine was turbulent. Centuries of Gentile oppression and war. There were social uh, inequalities. The people wanted reform. They wanted to be free from oppressive taxes. Many anguished over the demise of religious and cultural norms. There was compromising with Romans and Greek culture and Um, Some had moved, you know, even out into the desert because they didn't like the way the temple was being run and the way the temple leadership was working with the Romans. There was division and tension and uh, difficulty. Life wasn't easy. And as a result, first century Palestine waited in anticipation for God to act. They were expectant, surely. Surely God will fulfill his promises to his people. 
Surely God would act. Surely he would raise up a deliverer. Surely he would vindicate his people. In fact, N.T. Wright sums up first century Judaism this way. It was a worldview which was focused on a sense of longing and expectation, of recognition that the present state of affairs in their day and age had not yet seen all that God had planned for his people. They were waiting for the last chapter in their story to begin. And in that context, God did act, and God did raise up a deliverer. And thus the Gospels are the culmination of centuries of waiting, centuries of longing by the faithful remnant. They they are the surprising, even shocking way that God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, that Jesus is the ultimate offspring of Abraham, who sums up everything God had promised, who fulfills everything Israel was supposed to be. The Gospels are prophetic and poetic hopes finally realized, prayers answered, Hopes come to reality. God has raised up a deliverer. The Messiah has come. The only problem is the story didn't go the way anyone expected. And so as the gospel writers tell the story of Jesus, they are saying he indeed is the Messiah. He is the deliverer. He is the restorer. He is the Savior. Even if it looked different than everything we expected. And so as we read the Gospels, we need to make sure we read them in this terms as as the culmination of long-awaited hopes, uh, as the culmination of the, the promised Abraham, now finally realized and fulfilled in and through Jesus. Jesus is the long-awaited fulfillment of Israel's story.